Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today, we are talking about The Wish, which is basically the multiverse of madness of the Buffyverse. Um, you know, got to plug that Spider-Man movie that's coming out. Or by the time this thing actually airs, it might have already come out. Oh, really? But I think so. Yeah, I think this might come out after Christmas. I have tickets to watch it opening night. <gasps> so do we. I'm so excited. We're not going opening night. We're going like five days after, which is a bummer because we couldn't get anyone to watch the kids. But we're going to have to like stay off TikTok and stuff so we don't get any spoilers. I'm going the day opens, not to flex. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. What's <laughs> your singleness? <laughs> your single privilege. <laughs> no, but this episode, man, whew, this is a fun one. This is a really fun one to talk about. It is one of those episodes of Buffy that I feel like you could easily watch as someone who's never seen the show before. And it's about as close as you can get to a standalone episode that you don't really need to understand That's very true. much of what's going on to appreciate. But also, if you've seen the show up until now, there's a lot of symbolism that you can pick up based on the storyline that we've just been discovering. So yes. it's like it's definitely a fan service, but then also a really good standalone episode as well. Yeah, I was actually – I was watching it and I was like, I realized that Buffy is not actually in this episode mm -hmm. very much. She's in it, but I bet you Sarah Michelle Gellar was like, Thank oh, God. okay, a little bit of a breather. <laughs> It's really fun, like, looking back at some interviews and stuff. I know Allison Hannigan has said that the role of Willow was one of her, I think her, favorite, is her yeah. favorite role to play because it's so diverse and there's so much that she was able to play, like, different variations of Willow. And this is one of them that I'm – like, I, you can just tell Allison Hannigan especially had an absolute ball playing this character. All right. So The Wish – Written by Marty Noxon, directed by David Greenwald, which, I mean, I saw who wrote it and I was like, okay, a lot of stuff makes sense. A lot of the Wish versus Willow and Xander dynamic feels a lot like Spike and Drew. <laughs> directed by David Greenwald, aired December 8th, 1998. So Joss Whedon actually ranks this episode as his sixth favorite of the entire series, which is actually kind of notable because it's the only episode on his list that is not one that he wrote, or at least not one that he's credited as a writer. Wow, that's high praise. It is high praise. Every time I read stuff like that, I'm like, I can't tell if that's just him being like so egotistical. But then I'm also like, but most of the best episodes are the ones written by him. So, okay. So Rhonda Wilcox and David Lavery described The Wish as one of the darkest of Buffy episodes. The moment Vamp Xander and Vamp Willow kill Cordelia without remorse and with visible pleasure, the tone of the episode shifts, climaxing in the scene where the cast regulars are killed in slow motion and with haunting music underneath. And a lot of people actually compare this episode to the plot of It's a Wonderful Life, which once I think about it, I was like, oh, I can kind of see it where George Bailey's like, no, take me back to my old life. I mean, I feel like, yeah, yes, it is like It's a Wonderful Life, but I also feel like there's so many movies and shows that have done this at this point that I don't – I mean, It's a Wonderful Life is definitely like older, so I would compare it to that, but I feel like this trope has been done so many times, and I personally love it every single time. Because I mm -hmm. love to see, like, you know, 
the way that things could have gone. Multiverse episodes are like my favorite, especially in sci-fi-ish shows. Like Doctor Who has a few of them and I eat them up every time. I'm like, it feels like a very Doctor Who episode. Yes. I was going to say this feels like a complete Doctor mm-hmm. Who episode. In a lot of ways, it didn't feel like a Buffy episode, but it was kind of cool yeah. in that way. You could you know? see everyone in different ways. Yeah. And I liked that a lot. The theme of this episode, what do you guys think is the theme? Like for you, when you watch this, what do you think the theme is? Be careful what you wish for. Um, that's one of them, I feel like. But I feel like it's also just like you can't control um, the cards that you're dealt with, just how you play it. Hmm. And so you can't just like sit in your own little mind and think of other scenarios of how life could be. You have to look at your cards and be like, you know what? I have to think of the best strategy and I have to um, do life the way that I know best how to do it. And it's like, even when crappy situations happen, it's like, I can't handle or I can't control other people getting their due diligence. I have to focus on myself and to grow myself and not let it bother me, even though that's way more said than done. But also control is a huge one. I mean, this is also coming from somebody who knows a lot of the direction of the show. And we're not supposed to give spoilers, sure, but right. it's like control is a huge underlining theme in this season. You start to see kind of peaking up. Um, but I didn't even realize, I realized a lot of kind of subtle things in this episode in this rewatch. And I know I keep saying that and I'm sure that's so annoying for everyone to hear, but it's like... <laughs> Having to like really break down every episode has been really eye-opening because I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't Seriously. realize just how much these characters are really thought out or how much like there really is like so much buildup or just, I don't know, just – It's layered. Yeah. And this is one of those. Yeah. I mean, Tabby's was a lot more well-spoken than mine. Um, but <laughs> I mean, kind of to piggyback on what she was saying, I think that – this episode to me always kind of screams like the grass is always greener. Like mm-hmm. there's always going to be something that you're like, oh, well, if this happened, it, then this wouldn't happen and I would be here. And, you know, Cordelia is very much like, well, if I never met Xander, then I would never be blah, 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 blah. But it's also like we as the audience and viewers have really seen how as much as Xander sucks, her dating him here. really was good for her. Not because Xander was good for her, but like, I think that her having to like unselfishly love someone and think about someone really did wonders for her, uh, whether mm-hmm. she sees it right now or not. And I mean, we'll see where her character goes. But And not to mention, it's like, come on, girl. We all know that Buffy being in Sunnydale is a good thing. Like, yeah. I would not have needed this episode to know that Sunnydale needs Buffy. But I think it continues on the theme of choice mostly because we've been talking a lot about like authority and choice. And I think this is the ultimate, what if I had made different choices or what if different choices had been made? Um, And I think it goes to show that like our choices matter and what we do actually like impacts other people, not just ourselves. So therefore like make good choices. Um, I think the biggest theme of this episode is actually friendship matters. In the beginning of the episode, when Xander and Willow ask Buffy how she got through her heartbreak, she says it's because of them. And wish first Buffy tells Giles she's not a team player, then she goes off alone, and then she dies alone. So I think there's a lot of showing, hey, gang, like as you're going through life, like this whole thing with Xander, Willow, Oz, and Cordelia has 
it threatens to kind of break up the gang a little bit. And I think it's a reminder to them that you guys need each other and that it's been said several times by Spike, I think, and the master, a slayer with friends and family. If Buffy didn't have that support group around her, she probably would not have made it as far as she had. And obviously vice versa, if Buffy had never come to Sunnydale, Willow and Xander would be dead, you know? So it's very important to foster those friendships. And it's also, I think, you have to be careful what kind of friends you pick as well. Well, I was about to say too, there's a huge mirroring of like, okay, so we all know that friends is a good thing. Now pick good ones. Because those influence you. Because then you see like the mirroring of like harmony and everyone like making fun of Cordelia for being dumped and like all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. you have to really kind of be choosy. Um, So this is what Joss has to say about this uh, episode. He says, so a lot of people are – or were upset that nobody learned anything in this episode because, you know, how everything is erased and nobody remembers anything. But you know what I thought was cool? Nobody learned anything in the episode. For Cordy to cause such a hideous disaster and be totally unaware of it and not learn anything just totally makes me laugh. On the other hand, the audience learned the importance of Buffy's support group, so it's not like everything is the same. So I think even though I think that he doesn't say it very well, which is like probably the first time I've ever said that about Joss, um, I think that He's trying to say that the point of this episode was not so much for the characters themselves, but it was mostly for the audience to be reminded that, hey, like, Buffy does actually need these people. <laughs> if if anything, Buffy needs these people no matter, matter how crappy they are to her sometimes, you know? But I also think, yes, they need, like, she needs those people. But, like, I also think it's supposed to show how much Sunnydale and everyone needs Buffy, like yes. Willow and Xander, yes. they become vampires. Like Cordelia dies. Like, yeah. like Angel and Giles never have purpose exactly. in life. Exactly. And so yeah. it's like, yes, of course. Like I think the episode is supposed to show, you know, Buffy needs a support system. But I also think it's supposed to like show and remind the audience like, hey, Buffy is not fighting for nothing. Like everything mm-hmm. she has done has already saved Sunnydale so much that we don't even realize. Yeah. That's a really good point, Leah. And I mean, we'll talk about it later with, you know, the wish first Buffy, but it's really hard to fight for something that you're not attached to, that you don't have an emotional connection to. And I think that's ultimately why Buffy has survived as long as she has. I didn't think of this as like a, oh, dang, like Cordelia really would have like grown a lot if she had remembered all this. But it's like, if you really take the episode in hindsight, especially at the very end, like at first, her first wish when she's like, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. It's very much out of anger and desperation. And then at the end of the mm-hmm. episode, it's like just meaningless words. And she's just like, mm-hmm. she doesn't mean any of them. She's like, I wish Willow wakes up tomorrow. And she's having fun with it. She's like covered in monkey hair, you know, and like things like that where it's like sometimes it feels better to kind of just say those things because you're like, mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do to change this. So what's the point? Um, and so – I I don't know. I think that Cordelia knows that if Buffy weren't here, yeah, everything great. would be crap anyway. So it's not like she needs to remember everything that happened in the multiverse in order to really be pro-Buffy. I think that she puts up a hard exterior yeah. more than she actually feels, especially towards Buffy. Because it felt like they're actually having a heart-to-heart too, like in the alleyway. I mean, we'll get there, but yeah. Okie doke. The episode embodiment of Careful what you wish for coming up. I feel like this is the first time we've opened up an episode where it's like broad daylight and Buffy's like fighting a demon. Is that, am I making that up or is that true? I feel like there's maybe been one other time 
No, I think this might be the first time. And I at first I was like, this is really strange. And then I realized, oh, they're intentionally trying to contrast what life looks like in the wish verse. And so they're showing, look, it's like broad daylight. There's birds chirping. It's bright. And if you'll notice, there's a huge difference in how – in like the coloring and even probably the um, – what? how do we call it? The present day wish verse and then the alternate wish verse is shot. If you notice the alternate wish verse is shot very dark, it feels a lot like season it's one. very gray. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was gray, but then there's a lot of shadows. It's dark. It was weird. It literally feels overcast. Like watching it, you're literally yeah, like- It does. It literally feels like a storm is about to come in. Whereas watching like the normal non- like verse one, it's like sunny and stuff, which is so funny because it's like we're not used to it with Sunnydale. Right. So I think they intentionally have us open up in the graveyard in broad daylight because they're showing, hey, it's happy because everybody's working together. Buffy's here. It's normal and it's going to contrast what we see later on. But I also kind of like it too that it's like even though this is the normal world, they're still having to fight demons in broad daylight and that's just normal to them. Yeah, and it's also like after all the heartbreak of the last episode, life still exactly. goes on. There's another demon. Literally, fight. exactly. Um, so Buffy's being strangled up by a demon on the dream. She's like, nerf. He actually looks like um, – oh, who's the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean? Like Davy Jones. He looks like Davy mm. Jones with his like tentacle mm-hmm. beard. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, man, like who like – made these costumes. They're actually pretty decent. I know. I actually need to talk about the costume designer sometime. Or not the costume designer. That's Cynthia Bergstrom. But the other guy who does all of the monster makeup because, whew, it's a Yeah, seriously. And they have to make like the suits and everything, like different ones all the time. And they have to think of like what they actually look like too. Like they think of new ways and new demons. I don't think we really see a demon that's the same except for um, Moloch. We see him again. I'm fairly certain that this guy is some form of the Go Fish Fish Boys. Mm. I think it's the exact same suit and they just added a beard. (laughs) Don't bring that up again. I don't need to know that. We're banned from talking about Go Fish, Teacher's Pet. Is that it? We've talked about Teacher's Pet enough to last me literally a lifetime. (laughs) Leah's like, I'm never going to watch that episode ever again. Honestly, I can think about a lot of episodes that I hate and I can kind of crap on them in like a laughs and giggles sort of way. But like Go Fish scars me. I don't like talking about it. It's so gross. Yeah. I see no reason to ever watch it again, honestly. The only good part of the episode, literally, the only good part is that random friend who ends up dying. And I'm so upset they killed him off. Gage. Yeah, he's actually in the credits for the season three, too. I was like, oh, what the heck? Anyway, okay, let's not talk about Go Fish. <laughs> so, anyway, this uh, Go Fish demon is hiking up Buffy against wow. the tree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she ends up killing him or whatever. And then they all kind of have this dialogue where they're like, oh, so he doesn't dust. So I guess we have to bury him. That was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, could you imagine if they had to bury every single demon and we're watching them like dig the grave every single time? Well, it made me think of the movie because in the movie they don't oh, they don't yeah. poof, right? That's so right. So it made yeah. me think of the movie how there was just like the practicality of their just big bodies that just pile up. Yeah, Buffy's buff not because she's a slayer and naturally gifted. She's buff because she's constantly having to drag full-grown vampire men into graves every night. And then she mentions that she hasn't reached Faith. And I realize we haven't seen Faith in a couple episodes. And I forget that there's like this little break because Faith is still very mm-hmm. much like hurt. Yeah. I I don't think it's spoiling too much to say that this episode is obviously trying to serve as a warning to Faith as well. Um, because Faith told Buffy in Revelations that she can only count on herself. And like this whole conversation where Buffy says, you know, it's not healthy 
for like slaying is a hard gig, too much alone time isn't mm-hmm. healthy, stuff gets pent up. And that's literally what you see with the alternate universe Buffy. But I think it's also a warning of like Faith is doing uh-huh. this exact same thing. So what's the ramifications of that going That's to what be? I thought it was too. Like it's like a service to this episode, but then it's also kind of like – Hey, we see this happening with Faith. We haven't seen her in a while. I don't think it's supposed to be like a major like we are we are we. You know, you know what I'm saying. But I do think that. It, why can't I just say red flag? Uh, <laughs> but like, I do think that it is like like what you guys were saying. Like, supposed to be a subtle nod of like, hey, like maybe check in on her. Maybe there's right. something going on there. Especially when Buffy said it, because like we've seen Buffy try and do stuff alone. Like, it doesn't pan out. Yeah. Well, and it, it also shows, like, subtle character growth of Buffy, and we'll talk about this later on, but Buffy even going up to Cordelia and saying, hey, lean on friends. Don't do this alone. That is the lesson Buffy has learned only this season with um, when she talks to Willow and Giles and Faith, Hope, and Trick, and she's like, wow, like, I feel a lot better, like, leaning on someone. I think that's something that Buffy's learning to appreciate this season. Yep. Oh, uh, gosh. And then Xander being like, oh, I've tried – calling Cordy like 50, 60, 100 times. Um, and then they have this whole interaction. I don't really want to sit here and talk about 20 times because we know it's wrong. Xander Sankey was like, how rude it was for them to walk in while them kissing because it was absolutely the last time kissing. And I think what's so annoying about this is Xander literally spends one one sentence remorseful. One sentence. He literally talks about how he's trying to call Cordelia. And how he sound, he like he sounds kind of remorseful and he's like trying to blah, blah, blah. And then he spends like a whole paragraph talking about how it's their fault. It's like, oh, I love when you blame the literal victim of the situation. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we know that Xander uses humor as a coping mechanism, as a way to deflect. I don't want to like say that's an excuse, but it's a little frustrating that we know that he's half joking here, but it's like, okay, Xander, we actually do need to see some sort of remorse here. And that's, I think, on the part of the writers, they needed to give him a line or two or a, a soliloquy or a monologue, something to show us that he actually like is missing Cordelia. Because we just see him kind of like, other apart from that one scene in the hallway where he thinks Cordelia is kissing someone else, he doesn't seem really all that bothered that Cordelia is not really responding to him versus Willow's like eating her up inside, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Uh, we'll have thoughts on that scene when we come to it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> then we cut to uh, Cordy. This is this sad. Is this is like, so Chris sad. Chris McCarpenter's face is just the face of somebody who's defeated. Like her face is just, you could tell she's been crying for hours. It's like that numb look with tears streaming down your face. You don't even realize tears streaming down your face. And like you see the bandage. I love the metaphor. I don't really love the fact that she's the one that came out punctured. But it is is a metaphor of her just like trying to heal and just being constantly reminded Mm -hmm. of her pain of like the breakup and the cheating and the fact that they had the scene right. with her being wrapped up and it's visible and you could see that it's still incredibly fresh and she's sitting with a huge bandage around her stomach and she's crying and she's cutting up pictures and it's not just Xander it's the whole friend group which hurts me the script says 
Now we move up to see that it's Cordelia who's doing the slice and dice job while she ignores the phone machine. It says her eyes are red from crying and she looks just about as bad as an incredibly beautiful person can look. Oh, I was like, that's what I thought too. I was like, Charisma Carpenter is freaking yeah. gorgeous. And yet here she is. She's like either made up to look like she's not doing so great. She still looks stunning. Like if I was in that position, I'd look way worse than that for sure. Literally. And then Willow waiting outside for Oz. And then Buffy coming up and like asking her questions about it again, being so sympathetic and the perfect friend ever. What the bigger deal is the fact that Buffy is like not making them feel like they're awful people. Like right? it's it's the fact that she's like, you know, being supportive and stuff, but it's like every time they bring up the fact that they literally cheated, both of them, she's not like, ah, told you. Or like I never cheated with Angel. You know what I mean? Like, and so it's like she just is so aware of the fact that people make mistakes. And she Mm -hmm. just is like, it's okay. Like, she's just, they do not deserve her. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not saying in general, but it's just like, at least in this moment, they are not appreciating what she's doing for them. To be fair, too, like, Buffy would have every right to be like, you guys gave me so much Mm -hmm. crap for withholding Angel and yet you're over here cheating on your boyfriend and girlfriend. That doesn't make any sense. So I think that Buffy is being incredibly gracious when she has, I won't say as much right to be as hurt as Cordelia and Oz, but she could be like, hey guys, like what you said to me was incredibly hurtful when you were being hypocritical about it as well. And Willow mentions that um Cordy hasn't been to school the past couple days and that someone says they saw her at the mall and she looks scary. Amy. Oh, yeah, Amy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That is one of the best things about this episode is all Mm -hmm. the little like cameos and nods to stuff. It feels a lot like band candy in the sense that there's so many Easter eggs from long-term – for long-term fans. It's so fun Mm -hmm. to watch. And then Cordelia's iconic entrance into the show. This is one of those outfits that like – makes me talk about fashion on the show just because it's like this is what girls do when they get their like well actually strong girls (laughs) this is what strong (laughs) girls do when they get their heart broken like they suck it up they look good they go to school and they get their job done or they go to work or whatever it is like they move on with their life but they also show the world and that person like i don't need you and Cordelia is very much like, I don't care if I'm hurting. I don't care if I have stitches in. I'm going to look good and I'm going to make you regret what you did. And you know what? <laughs> good for her. But I like the well-balanced idea of this too because it's like the last scene we saw how she's really feeling. But then she could have mm-hmm. stayed home. She could have groveled. And you know what she decided to do? She was like, you know what? Kind of like what Leah's saying. She's like, even if I feel bad, I'm not going to allow people to have that part of me. And you know what? I'm going to fake it till I make it. So I'm going to look nice and I'm going to show up because I need to, whether or not I want to. Yeah. It's it's crazy to me that this scene where she comes out of the car, like her legs are oh, yeah. amazing in those heels and in that dress is just fantastic. I love this episode, but I will see that scene is like burned in my brain. When I think of this episode, that's yep. the scene that I think of, which, and this is an episode that has a lot of iconic moments. I mean, you have Vampire Willow, you have the master coming mm-hmm. back, you have that whole scene at the very end. And that scene, I mean, what an entrance, man. And then the whole ex gang of hers comes up to her 
And then they kind of introduce a new friend that is new to the school named Anya. I like that this is the episode that they introduce a new character like this because in your brain, you're like, oh, there's a new character. That's interesting. But I like the fact that since she's a vengeance demon, she was called there because she felt the weight of what Cordelia was going through. I was just going to say like kind of what Tabby was saying. It's not that it's just like, oh, it just happened to be circumstance, but it's it's a better written plot. Yeah. I think they're also trying to make a direct contrast to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. When Xander goes to make the spell, he seeks out Amy and says, I don't want to do a love spell. I want vengeance. And I think there's intentional nods by them like saying, oh, Amy saw Cordelia. Oh, uh, this is the first episode we've seen Harmony in season three. And the last time we saw her was in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. So they're intentionally having these callbacks. Um to show that like when presented with the opportunity for vengeance, Cordelia doesn't really take it, at least on the first try. It's um, like Anya says, don't you wish, don't you wish? And Cordelia's like, no, like I'm just going to keep going on with my life. And then finally in a moment of like in, unintentionally in a moment of, yeah, if I actually like had the chance, like I would wish for this, even not even knowing what she was doing. I think they're trying to contrast Cordelia and Xander and even kind of compare the two of them when they go through heartbreak. And it's really interesting when you think about it. Then Harmony does this whole, oh, I found somebody for you. We pan over. It's Jonathan. Not only is she being so rude to Cordelia, but it's also like Jonathan's a human being too. Like why'd you have to drag him into this? Right. But he's right there and he hears everything, you know? Um, The actress that plays one of the Cordettes, the one who has the dialogue, her name is Nicole Bilderback. She was actually in the unaired pilot. Oh, Isn't that weird. So random? She was also in Bring It On with Eliza Dushku, as well as the movie Can't Hardly Wait with oh, Seth what the Green. Heck? I know, right? So random. I also have to point out, too, I think she is the first Asian in the show that has dialogue, which I think is a real shame. And she also dies in the episode. So once again, just pointing out how the show really does minorities a disservice. That is an understatement. Yeah. Um, And then, gosh, Harmony says, I'm pretty sure he won't cheat on you, at least for a while. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty cold. And then cutting to another rough scene. So this one, or Willow is waiting by Oz's locker. So she kind of starts out and is like, like Oz to think that what I did hurt you. And then he kind of stops her. He says, yeah, you said all this stuff already. And she's like, just tell me what I need to do. And he says, you can just leave me alone. Again, really softly, really nicely. And then he says, I need to figure things out. He said, look, I'm sorry, this is hard for you. Which he didn't even have to apologize for, for one. Um, Then he says, but I told you what I need. So I can't help feeling like the reason you want to talk is so you can feel better about yourself. That's not my problem. What a mature response. But it's also just like, it's it's honest, but he's kind. He apologizes. Mm-hmm. He lets her talk and he doesn't yell at her, or go off on her, but he's just very much like letting her know his boundaries and saying like, hey, if you're feeling anything else, it's guilt. They just make him such an honorable character. You can't help but love and just feel for Oz. I just think this is such a mature response. And it reminds me a lot of what Jenny said to Giles and Ted when she tells him that he's making her feel bad and she doesn't want that responsibility. 
it, they're both putting up boundaries. And the fact that Oz tells her, I'm sorry, this is hard for you, is way more than he needed to say because technically she's the one that wronged him. But he's still showing compassion and care for her by saying that he recognizes that this is not a position she necessarily wants to be in either, which is so big of him. Yep. What a king. And I like how this is mirrored with what happens immediately afterwards because it's like the first couple has their first interaction. And then the second couple, oh, that's true, huh? it's like Cordy. And not saying that this is necessarily wrong of Cordelia to do. Like, I mean, it's, I don't know. Is it the best way to handle the situation? No. Does she have the right to do this? Yes. She's no longer dating him. He also can't feel bad that she's quote unquote kissing somebody. The fact that he all of a sudden looks hurt, yeah. I'm like, shut up, Sander. For yeah, months no right. at least, he really has or no at right. least weeks, you and, and Willow were doing this secretly as friends in the same group. And the fact that you're watching something that could be possibly happening, now you're getting hurt by it. F off. Yeah. It's so annoying. Cordelia, man, she's a master yeah. manipulator. But I mean, I just – I feel bad for her because she's fallen so far down the social ladder. And I mean, this guy is just sleazebag. Yeah, He's very like, insulting. Oh, I can't be seen in public very with insulting. you. But it's very, it's very similar to what Xander and her had. And it's kind of – it mirrors what Xander – or what she kind of said to Xander. Like, I'll have a relationship with you in private, but I don't want to be seen in, with you in public. Not saying it's right, but – it's kind of that same thing that's happening where it's like you've you're so far down on the food chain now that I don't even want to be seen in public with you, but like in private, sure we can have something, which is so degrading. I think this situation's a little bit different just because he's just talking about physicality. Whereas like I think I don't think Cordelia was was willing to even acknowledge the fact that she actually liked Har- or Harris um Xander at that time. <laughs> uh, this one he's just like, Oh, I don't even want to be seen even talking to you. Like, I don't know. It's just so degrading. I just was like, ew. Um, And you see that she's like a bit shocked after that. She's like so confused. Um, She turns around, she she bumps into Anya and then she kind of assumes Anya is going to like rail into her too. And then um, they have this like sweet conversation where they're like actually connecting. I think it's also just sad because it's like Anya is literally a new character and we also know that Anya's intentions are not exactly pure. But it's like she's the only one who's being nice to Cordelia in this episode. Right. Like, yeah, it's just so sad. I love that they put Anya in green the first time you meet her because it's kind of a little foreshadowing with like the green pendant later on. It's kind of cool. Like, and they dressed characters very intentionally in this episode. Like, obviously, you know, Cordelia's bright blue outfit is supposed to contrast everybody wearing black later on. Well, but I also think it's supposed to be the fact that Anya's color like green is supposed to be um like greed and like vengeance it's a it's a envy it's a very like evil Ooh, color yeah and so sure. i think that it's like <laughs> green is an evil color no it really is like i mean even um no, i know what you mean even color like, theory yeah even like disney disney will use green mm-hmm. a lot when, like with his evil uh characters and stuff well, and you have Cordelia. She wears a lot of red yeah. in the episode when she's out in public, and because she's trying to put on this like carefree, strong uh, red is usually very independent, strong. But then when she wears blue and she goes into the the multiverse, blue is typically supposed to be um, like an outcast, someone who is set apart, who's different, but also from emotional. Else. So, That's what I always think of blue. 
That's true. Yeah. It's just very interesting how they like play with the outfits of this episode. I always think of blue and I equate it with like vulnerability too. Well, I think about um, Beauty and the Beast. Mm. They purposely dressed Belle and even the Beast in blue to show that they were outsiders. Oh, he's in blue too, huh? Mm -hmm. The animator who um, animated the – either was the animator or was like the story uh, board editor or something like that. He was – I think closeted gay. And so he kind of put in like blue as a representation of when you feel set apart and outside and alone. Yeah. I just love storytelling. This is why I just love like movies and television because it's just, there's endless stuff you can pick up. Um, Hence why we have a podcast about Buffy. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone else is like, (laughs) or even Tangled. It's literally like a kid's movie. And it's like, there's so much that you can pick up on what they do. You know? Um, Anyway, so we go to the bronze and this whole scene in the bronze is really telling because it's like you see Cordelia really trying to put up a front and like it's I've been there. I've been there when it's you freshly see an ex and you know that they're looking at you and you know you have to be a little bit performative because you're like they're going to remember this moment. Like, this is the first time that they're really seeing them. Can I just say Xander's laugh is so irritating. <laughs> I know it's a fake laugh, but I just I – skip, I skip it every time or I plug my really? ears. I can't, I can't hear it. It's, it gives me like secondhand embarrassment. It's so embarrassing. I'm embarrassed Honestly, though – There's a lot of embarrassment. If I were Cordy, though, though you know? and I heard him trying to fake a laugh, I would die laughing. I'd be like, I'm winning in this moment. That fact that he has to fake I'm a laugh this with his friends is really telling. Honestly, I'm just so mad that Cordelia even like feels the need that she has to try and show off for Xander. It's like, girl, the fact that you're not dating him anymore is like literally means you're winning. Like <laughs> you don't need to impress him. Like we we are on your side no matter what. You're winning the breakup, Cordelia. <laughs> like you don't even need to try. I like the fact that she's not wearing her jacket at the bronze too because she's feeling a little bit more like loosed up. Like um, she's not as performative now. She's taking off a layer of her clothing. Like she looks really good. Although I will say like I don't really love – I liked it better with the jacket on. I don't really love the different shades and materials <laughs> of red on it. doesn't really do it for me as much. Um, but she looks good in anything. It's got two different types of material mm-hmm. in the top and the bottom, and it's a little funky. I will say it's kind of fun to watch Anya in these scenes, knowing that she's going to be the villain, um, because she's not really as into like she's not really talking with people as much, and she's kind of watching Cordelia as Cordelia's laughing and stuff. And it's interesting because Anya knows how much pain Cordelia's in, and so she's just hanging out with her, waiting for her to snap. And then can we just? I know we all know that like. Buffy is empathetic, but just the fact that she's like, I'm here for you, Xander. I just feel weird about this us against Cordelia thing. She's had a rough time. Yes. Thank you. Period. Thank you. Somebody said it. Cordelia is like, she was their friend. She still should be their friend. Like, it shouldn't be an us versus them thing. And Uh I'm glad that Buffy said something. Also, the contrast between what she says and what Willow says is very interesting because Willow says, it's mm-hmm. true, Cordelia belongs to the Justice Club. Justice is an interesting word. And then she follows that by saying she deserves to make us pay, 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 and then more pay. There's really no end to how much pay we have to pay. This And this is the thing. It's interesting how both Willow and Xander express their guilt. Xander just shoves it underneath the mountains of humor. 
and self-deprecation. And Willow just sits there and goes, I'm an awful person. I'm mm-hmm. a bad person. And then tries to like fix it. And when it doesn't fix immediately, then she goes, okay, I'm going to wallow in it. And neither response is really great. And so it's like, okay, there's an appropriate level of, yeah, I messed up. And I did some crappy things, but just sitting there and being like, oh, woe is me. I'm so bad. Like, okay. And also, I know this is a plot device because the show can't be like, well, Will and Xander can never hang out again because obviously for plot reasons, mm-hmm. we need them to continue hanging together. But a way to get back with your ex, like if Willow wants to get back with Oz, hanging Cut out with out Xander, Xander completely in public places yep. is probably not a very good look. And I know that's because of the show, but I'm also like, this this is not realistic. Why would they yep. still be hanging or out? Or just you know? Oz putting up his boundaries by being like, hey, if they were a real couple, Oz would be completely in the right to be like, if you want to be back together with me, you cannot hang out with Xander. And he'd be completely right in saying that. Yeah, because he'll always be thinking if he gets back with mm-hmm. her, hmm, are they close friends or are they doing something more because they're acting the same yep. way that they did for forever, yeah. you know? You just have to ask more questions of like, are you interested in Xander? Do you want to be with him? Or was it just you just being horny? Like there's so many things you need to ask rather than just being like, yeah. can I forgive you? It's more than just that. You know what I mean? Um, I do applaud her kind of voicing her boundaries in a new way that's new for them. So like not even normal stuff that they've done in the past. Like he just like casually like touches a hand, but not in a like a weird way. It was like a normal like – like friendship thing. But for her, it was like, she was like, Xander, your hand. And then him trying to be like, well, well, it's fine. We used to do that before. And she's like, well, if I want to make things right with Oz, my hands, all my stuff has to be for him only. Which, fair. Which good for Willow. But I'm like, okay, it's always Willow though. It's never Xander. And yeah. it's like- I'm not talking about Xander. I'm saying good job, Willow. <laughs> I'm not done talking about Xander. <laughs> no. But like Willow, she- like Xander's like, okay, I don't, I'm done being guilty. Let's move on. It's like, well, you haven't even really expressed any guilt or any at least positive guilt. You're just avoiding it and projecting it onto other people. And it's frustrating. Well, I also just think it's one of those things too where it's like Willow is consciously making an effort because she wants Oz back. Whereas Xander doesn't actually want Cordelia back. He just hates- It doesn't seem like that. He just hates the fact that Cordelia doesn't seem to want him back. It's just, ugh, it's so irritating. I just, obviously everyone knows how we feel about Xander. We've made our our feelings very clear, but it's just, it's the kind of thing where I wish we could just be like done talking about Xander, but unfortunately he's still in the show and he keeps doing crappy things. And it's like, ugh. It's just, not like- I'm tired. I feel like- No, I'm literally. And I feel like a broken now. record too, but it's also, it's not like we're just hanging over three instances over his head. It's like, it's something new. It's a repeat Every pattern. single episode. So it's not like I can just sit here and just yeah. be like, well, we've already talked about him last week, so I'm just going to let go of this huge avalanche in this episode. It's like, no, I want to talk about everything he does or anything that anyone ever does. Like, I feel like I've ripped into Willow pretty harshly in this season because she's deserved mm-hmm. it. Like- I'm not like impartial. Like Buffy has done things I disagree with. But we also know that Buffy is willing to put aside her pride and apologize and be sympathetic and empathetic. She's done that several occasions. So it's like, yeah, there are things that Giles does I don't approve of. You know, like Cordelia's done yeah. many things that I don't approve of. It's just frustrating because Xander is the only one that doesn't really seem to be changing or have consequences. And everybody else seems to be dealing. Yes, everybody else is dealing with the fallout of all this crap. Even even Buffy gets blamed by Cordelia 
for Xander cheating on, even though I know Cordelia, I think she's just lashing out. I don't think she's actively um, mad at Buffy. It's still like, oh my gosh, why does Buffy have to bear the brunt of your stupid decision, Xander? Literally. Okay. And then I love the flip between like Cordelia and Payne emotionally and then the contrast of her being in fame physically. I know I've mentioned that, but I love the fact that Buffy can picture and know that Cordelia is going through things emotionally before. And then now we have the whole, we see that she's going through physically, which also correlates to her mental health as well. Cause Buffy goes to get them chocolate and then she looks over and sees Cordelia. Um, She hugs Anya and is about to walk outside and someone kind of like runs into her and you see her kind of clutch her side um, as her kind of being reminded of the pain that she's trying to shove down. And so she walks outside to get a breath of fresh air. And this scene just makes me sad because they, it felt like they were getting to a good place. And then it's like a brood awakening where again, Cordelia is being put in these situations that aren't her fault. And the poor girl gets like, and every situation keeps getting clobbered. And it's like, it's such a mirror to Buffy as well. And I love that they have this little bit of a heart to heart because Buffy's able to be like, I know what it's like to be hurt by someone hurt so much that you don't think you're going to make it. But I told my friends how I felt. And you know what? It got a little better. I forgot about this scene. And the first thing I thought of when I saw when it she was, was bad. kind of a mirror of when mm-hmm. she was bad, when Cordelia came to Buffy and kind of in her Cordelia way, extended that hand of friendship to her. And I think this is such a beautiful mirror of things. And I, I mean, I wish obviously like it had ended differently, but I think it's kind of cool. But I, I also just want to point out the fact that it's like Buffy was the one who was the least close with Cordelia. Like, Buffy would rarely even call Cordelia her friend. Like, whereas, like, Willow and Xander, I feel like, had a much closer relationship with her. But it's like... They've at least known her for longer. Well, yeah. And, like, you know, I think their relationship was different. But it's like, it is so interesting to me that Buffy is the one who kind of, like, reaches out when she doesn't have to. She has no loyalty to Cordelia. But she does it because she knows that Cordelia isn't in the wrong and Cordelia needs someone. Well, and I think Buffy recognizes – like Buffy's in pain with having to be apart from Angel. Like, you know, the last time that her and Angel saw each other was, hey, like we need to take – we're never going to be friends. Like we need to basically like separate. And so Buffy's going through that pain and so she sees it in in Cordelia. Um, And Buffy's just also just a really good person. And – her and Cordelia bonded in homecoming, especially too. I, I think Buffy genuinely saw her as a friend, you know? It's just sad. But I also love like to come back to the whole when she was bad conversation. It was like Buffy was going through something and Cordelia kind of called her out, but was like, if you keep acting this way, you won't have the loser friends you have now. She's kind of calling her back to being like, hey, stick around with your friends. You need them. Mm. And so in this scene, yeah. she's saying, hey, I told my friends and it got better. Mm-hmm. Kind of her like reminding Cordelia of what he, what she told her, but also being like, hey, I'm your friend. I'm, al- I'm opening up myself in this moment and kind of giving you a little bit of a steps that she feels comfortable that she could open up to her in that moment, if that makes sense. And then Cordelia has this whole montage or not montage, monologue about how she's like, you know, all these things keep happening. I keep asking myself, why me? (laughs) Which is fair. (laughs) The poor girl. I mean, yeah, but then like, let's look at what 
Willow and Xander and I mean everybody's had things happen to them. I know Cordelia's had a really rough time, but like look who she's talking to as well. And Cordelia is speaking out yeah. of pain, but she should know better. We've had a similar conversation like this in Homecoming where Buffy's like, you can walk out that door at any time. That's what Buffy told her. And Cordelia chose to stay. So it's like, Cordelia, you have a chance here to walk out the door. But again, she's speaking out of hurt mm-hmm. and anger and all that. Yep. It's also frustrating because it's like Cordelia, I feel like was robbed in this episode. And I will talk about it in a little bit, but it, I kind of wish that Cordelia had been one, the one that broke things off with Xander because or at the very least, it would have been so empowering if Cordelia had remembered what happened in the wish first, or even if it had been Cordelia to be the one that smashed the amulet mm. at the very end. Like, I love Giles doing it. Like, it's very powerful. But Cordelia doing it would have just meant – it would have been such a good subversion mm-hmm. of everything and been such a cool contrast to Xander. Um, I don't know. I feel like Cordelia just didn't have very much autonomy in this episode, and it's it's a bummer because she's such a great character, and I think that given the chance, she definitely would have done something. Yep. I agree. And then I love the little cutscene right here because she goes, and I realize what my issue is, and then she's talking to Anya outside of the school, and she goes, it's Buffy. Yes, it's definitely Buffy. Buffy's your problem. Mm-hmm. I think that this is definitely a trait that she's picked up from Xander. Just blame <laughs> Buffy for everything. It's like, dog, really? <laughs> like, you got cheated on and Buffy's your problem? Like, no. That's like the last thing that I want Cordelia to be picking up from Xander. And then this is really smart of Anya. Like, as she's talking, she kind of takes off her necklace as like her affirming her by being like, you need this. Puts it on her. I'm still a little bit like confused on like the rules of it. So Cordelia's like, oh, thanks. I know. She's like, okay. <laughs> um. So she has to be wearing the necklace for her to make a wish. I feel like that'd be so hard as a vengeance demon to like somehow make all these girls like put on the necklace Wear before your necklace. they like make a wish. That it, it, it does feel a little bit like, oh, if that's her power center and she's like giving it to somebody else. I don't know. It's like weird. Was she planning on just having Cordelia wear this necklace for the rest of her life? Seems and odd. And then Anya's like, well, got to wait till Cordelia dies to make another wish. You or know? she has like, like a thousand of those necklaces inside her like layer. Um, and then she wears yeah, it each time. world yeah. has a different one. I don't, this seems yeah, this seems a little yeah. weird. Like I feel like the necklace was the MacGuffin. It was the thing that you had to break. I kind of wish there had been how cool it would have been if uh Cordelia was the one that had to stand up and say, I wish I could have my old life yeah. back or I wish the power Bobby was in her hands rather than like, a, a necklace. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. So I feel like this episode is great, but I feel like it could yeah. have been just so much better if we'd added that because I think the necklace adds a weird hitch. Yep. And then she says the iconic words, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. And then dun, 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 Anya is a demon. What? Yeah. Oh, I did not see that coming. Although I will say this face is a little creepy. I love how the switched universe, it turns over and immediately like there's like crows being like, ah, ah, like in the background. You're like, yeah, okay, yeah. we're clearly <laughs> in a different universe. It looks like it's going to rain. It there's, looks like a tsunami just washed through. Like, well, there's, there's like trash. three branches on the floor. Yeah, there's trash. It does not look like happy at all. And there's people like literally running from one class to the other, which I'm like, guys, going inside is not going to make you any safer. Like, I, you know, what they should have done is they should have been like, okay, vampires can't go into dwelling places. So somebody has to permanently live at the school. So it becomes a dwelling place. Uh, Therefore, only humans can come in, but not vampires. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's the only way you could do this. That's true. I mean, like, it's during daytime, though. 
But they're all still running around like they're so scared of their own shadow, even though it's like, you know, overcast. <laughs> Demons, though. They're like, we saw a demon in the daylight in yeah. the beginning of the episode. It's not like it's out of pocket. I like how um, the first sign for Cordelia to check if this world is fake is she touches her stomach to see if the pain is there. Yes. Yeah. That's so sad. It is sad, but it's kind of a cool symbolism mm-hmm. of like, oh, my pain is gone because Xander never broke yep. up with me. Even though like her memory is not – her memory's still there, so it's not going to actually erase the right. pain. Then she bumps into the gang. They're all singing her praises, saying how good she looks. And then she bumps into the same dude who was awful in the hallway and like gets all nervous and asks her to the dance. (laughs) And she's like, I'll get back to you. Okay. The script says this. And I I went back and watched the episode because I was like, no way. Some of this is in there, but some of it isn't. So it says, Cordy moves down the hall, which is is also far less crowded than usual. A number of lockers stand open and the ones that are closed are draped with garlic and all sorts of freaky talismans. Also, the walls are now decorated with propaganda-type posters that say things like, don't be a fool, respect curfew, and daytime dates are fun. Now she walks past a framed photographic portrait in memoriam of Principal Flutie. Below it is a plaque with Flutie's name and his dates of service. Then she passes one in memoriam of Principal Snyder and one in memoriam of Principal Jackson, and so it goes, each one recording a shorter period of service. Which is hilarious because that means that Principal Snyder got eaten by a vampire and then they've had multiple uh, principals. This is in the episode? How did I miss that? Yeah, like there's like little plaques and stuff. I think it's really small. It's kind of hard to see, but it's this is from the script talking about it. Isn't that hilarious? I wish that they like – sometimes I feel like there's so many things in the background they don't do a very good job of showing because I swear we've had conversations like this where I'm like, how did I miss that? But they just kind of zoom past it. I think it's the prop people going like so hard. They're like, Literally. we're going to do our job so well. And then it's like only the actors really get to appreciate it. And they go to class. And how did she not pick up that there's like five people in class? I, I mean, to be fair, I think that there's so much going on right now. And it's so freaky that she's just kind of like, there's too much to focus on. I also think she's reeling in the fact that everyone's adoring her at this point. Yeah. But also Cordelia is one to notice clothes and everyone's dressed like it's a funeral. I know. <laughs> They're literally dressed like abnegation from Divergent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. And then this teacher kills me. He's like quickly wrapping up all the stuff. He's like, ah, no school tomorrow because we have a monthly memorial. And then sprints out leaving all the minors okay the, <laughs> the fact that, that they have a monthly memorial because so many people die is so sad but also it, it so is funny. if like oh that's kind of funny oh but that's also really morbid but it's also like who is still choosing to live there like you have a monthly memorial for your child who goes to high school and you're like hmm the the market's really cheap like move. <laughs> literally <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, the market's really cheap because there's like not enough people for the houses. And I love how they mentioned they're like, oh, curfew's in an hour. And then Cordelia completely breezes past that. Doesn't even ask why there's a curfew. Like, girly, I can only help you so much here in this situation. Yeah. Well, the thing is too, if, if there's a cor- if there's a curfew and we know vamps come out at night, wouldn't they get school done earlier in the day? And wouldn't they say, yes, please drive? So That's what not, I like, was thinking. I was like, this makes I just no don't understand this. sense. It doesn't Why doesn't school sense. start earlier or get out at like one? So they have like three, four hours before curfew starts. Courtney mentions she wants to go to the bronze. They act all awkward when she talks about the bronze. She's like, oh, of course, bronze is not cool in this universe. She's like, oh, and, and not that I care, but Xander and Willow, they're not even a blimp on the radar, aren't they? And then Harmony is like, well, they're dead. 
like for a brief minute, she looked a little sad, like, oh, I did this. And then she's like, well, I'm moving on. I don't think she's fully processed everything. I don't want to say that she's like necessarily like, happy or whatever about it. I think the thing is, too, is that like she's been through so much with Xander and Willow that I almost think she doesn't believe it. And then this part, too, yeah. I'm like, come on, guys. She's walking in the parking lot. It's supposed to be right when everyone's walking out at the same time. So how come no one's there? If her parents are in this universe, how come they aren't picking her up if she isn't allowed to drive herself? It makes no sense to me. I don't get it. Unless her parents are dead in this universe. Yeah, I know. She doesn't ask about her parents. She asks about Xander and Willow. (laughs) It just, the scene, I was like, I never thought about it. I was like, this makes zero sense. Uh, Yeah, it really doesn't. But, you know, anyways, we'd love it. um, And then she bumps into Xander and... Xander, first of all, has like a bling necklace on. I was like, okay, Xander, being all edgy. <laughs> He's wearing like very pale makeup. But it's I also hilarious. feel like, how was her first thought? Not like, hmm, Xander looks very different. I feel <laughs> like I should be aware of this. Somebody, I, a review I was reading was like, did Cordelia like get stupider when she went to the other world? Because I feel like Cordelia is a lot smarter than this and she's missing some obvious signs. Obviously, I know this world is very different, but like she loved Xander. She knows him very well. And she also notices how people dress. So I feel like for her to just not even recognize that Xander's acting looking different is very odd. And then she says she admits that things were better when Buffy was around. They need to find her. And then he's all like, Buffy, the Slayer. And then we hear the iconic board now. It's just, oh, there is just something about seeing Willow like this that just scratches up like a part of my brain. Because it's like we've seen (laughs) Willow like sweet and innocent and all this stuff for so many seasons now. To see her so evil is just so, like she... She personally creeps me out more than um, mm-hmm. uh, Drusilla. The master. Oh, Drusilla. Like seeing mm-hmm. her like this, like so. It's because she's all evil. And, yes. It's, it's scary. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The script says, we move up and find more leather, but these pants are girl style and of lace up variety. We continue up finally revealing Willow's sweetly beautiful face wearing an expression that's anything but. It's somehow carnivorous and childlike all at once. Mm. It works well. Alison Hannigan really kills this. She's just a great actress in general. And also I noted that her vamp face looks more snake-like, like like, uh, Mm -hmm. Drusilla's. It fits the personality. It's really interesting. And I know like they're constantly like amping up the sexuality of vampires, but Willow kind of takes it to a Mm -hmm. whole other level. Like even her uh, biting Cordelia, like uh, there's obviously like erotic Mm -hmm. um, undertones. I mean, thanks Marty Noxon. But it's also just like, I know you said like it scratches apart, but for me, it's like so jarring and creepy and I don't like it because I'm not used to seeing Willow like this. I don't know. It just makes me incredibly uncomfortable, but I know that's kind of the point of it. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we've only seen Willow in one way, you know, and so seeing her in a completely opposite personality and like everything, it's it's very weird. weird. She's so extreme versus Xander, who I feel like is just kind of like a slightly – he feels like he's playing himself when he's – um, confronting Buffy. It's just this. This is how he pictures mellow, himself. It's like the same energy. Yeah, it's true. Being suave <laughs> and like mellow and mysterious, you know. Yeah. Um, and then Cordelia kind of cuts attention, being like, "What's up with you two in the leather?" <laughs> and then she was like, "Oh no, no way! I wish it's into Bizarro Land, and you guys are still together." I can't. Literally, <laughs> poor girl. <laughs> 
Oh, gosh. And then Xander and Willow have, like, this whole, like, arguing over, like, who's going to, like, play. I, I want to say that I think it's interesting that this is supposed to be, like, a bad universe. And it's, like, supposed to be, like, pretty much, like, everything bad that's happened to Sunnydale or could happen to Sunnydale is happening. And the fact that Oz and Willow are a thing makes it funny oh, to Xander me. and Willow? Yeah, Dude, Xander I wrote Willow. this down, it too. It's, like, kind of, like, it's almost like the writer's kind of being, like, Willow and Sander is not supposed to be a good thing. Yes, that's what I wrote too. I was like, uh, if they're together in the vampy universe as, with their alter egos who are evil, then clearly we're not supposed to ship these two together anymore. Um, and then the quote unquote white hats come, which are Giles, Larry, and Oz. And Oz's van is bright blue. I love it. I love it. Like what a pairing. I love that yes. Larry is a white hat. In I like this I like episode. it because it, like, it proves so that it's cool. like if you give most people an opportunity to rise up, they will take it and they will like meet those expectations. And then who's who the heck is Nancy? Well, I don't know. We have never seen this person before. But I also just think it's so funny that it's like, of course, like Oz is there. Like of Oz course, is like the Oz same is person. Not like a vampire. <laughs> yeah, right. He's too smart to be a vampire. And then this scene in the bronze, I feel like would be so fun to be an extra in. Like if you look around too, it's like a bloodbath. There's like different people being tortured, but then there's also different like vampires. And if you look around, I notice there's like a ton of people that look like from different decades, which how fun would that be to have like different wardrobes, like different personalities of being different vampires? Yeah. The script specifically says that there's vamps everywhere representing a bevy of eras. So they purposely put people Mm -hmm. in different costumes from different types to show like these vampires have lived a very long time because they followed the master, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, I was like, where's Darla? Yeah, Darla and and Luke would have been really cool to see in this episode. Yeah. And they walk into a room and then I just forget that the master's randomly in this episode. I'm like, oh, (laughs) hey. I feel like he's a little scarier this episode than he was in season one. I was like, The entirety "Ah." of season one. Well, it's also because he's not trapped in some cage underneath the like – True. Like he's actually out and about in the world and has actual power and influence. Well, and he's killed Buffy, so we know what he's capable of. But I – okay. You know what? I'm going to say that until the end. Okay. All right. I need to stop <laughs> doing that because there's so much I want to say towards the end. Okay. So this part is really interesting. So he he says once he gives the girl to Willow, he says, I remember that lust for the kill. So let's talk about – the supposed inconsistency or contradiction with the master now versus in season one. So a few people that I was like looking up, a lot of the um, complaints of this episode were the fact that the master didn't open the hell mouth. And that was what he was trying to do in season one. Because if he had opened the hell mouth, then he would have, he was planning on taking over the world. And obviously he hasn't taken over the world because Buffy hasn't even heard of the master. She's in Cleveland. And when Giles is on the phone with the watcher, he tells him that we have a hellmouth here and the watchers doesn't believe him. So a lot of people are like, why did the master not open the hellmouth here? But then he was like all like, that was like his big thing he was going to do in season one. So this phrase that he says right here seems to hint that the master lacks the ambition he had in the first season. And this is most likely due to the fact that it's not as fun when you don't have an arch nemesis like Buffy to go against. Um, And then all things philosophical on Buffy the Vampire Slayer describes the master in season one as a predatory evil where he kills and hunts out of necessity, whether that's practical or pathological. So whether like he has to like scratch this like 
evil itch in his head. The master is trapped, so he sends others to hunt for him so he can escape. In this episode, the master is no longer predatory evil, but evil as order, meaning evil has created a world where evil can thrive and now rules over it, imposing a controlled way of life on humans and other sentient beings. So since the master like no longer needs to hunt, um, but he's now in authority over like a ton, a ton of vampires and recognizes that he needs to stay in power. And in order to do so, he has to do mass production. Um, Mm. And it's actually very similar to the mayor's philosophy and showcases yet another example of toxic leader who uses people for his own gain. But you see that he's over here going, man, I wish like, wish I like still wanted to go hunt, but he has no need to hunt because he's conquered everything at this point. There's nothing for him. So I think that like, that is like a really good explanation for why the master is very different here than he was in season one. I just answered a question neither of you had, but yeah, hopefully someone out there is like, I was oh. begging to know the answer. To I, that. I, know, I was I'm about sorry. to say, I didn't really think it was that inconsistent just because it's like, it is a different timeline. So it's like, for all we know, the master could have never even been trapped under the place in the first place like the church in the first place. So he didn't need to open the hell mouth. Like, or well, like he was, he was trapped under there. Like they infer that angel, like, like angel came here after seeing Buffy. And then Giles also came, was sent here to be a watcher. So everything was lined up exactly the way it had happened in like, you know, our time or the normal time, except Buffy didn't come. So the idea is that the master somehow got out um, and the fact that he kills Buffy at the end of the episode still fulfills the prophecy and everything, even in this realm. So anyway, I don't know. It's all this stuff that I hadn't thought of either until I was like actually thinking about it. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, why is the master not trying to like overthrow the earth, you know? But anyway, carry on. And then he kind of mentions that uh, Buffy might possibly come to Sunnydale. Cordelia starts waking up in library and you see Giles like, running down there i don't know why he'd be like sprinting down there i mean when i like giles to sprint down towards me if i was waking up from a coma absolutely but like i'm a mm-hmm. little confused but also why is giles set up in the library again because the only reason yeah. he was yeah. set up in the library before was so that he could be close to buffy budget. well but budget as well but it's like and that way he could like hide being a watcher but it's like he's not a watcher anymore and he shouldn't have been placed in Sunnydale. And it just, there is a little bit of a plot hole. Well, Giles was sent to Sunnydale, probably for the same reason that Buffy's watcher was sent to Cleveland. Kendra's watcher was sent to wherever Kendra was from. I think from what I'm getting, I think they're setting up watchers in different places in the world in the case that uh, a slayer gets called in that spot. There was no Slayer that was called in Sunnydale. Therefore, that's why Giles is no longer a watcher. Um, the yeah, the only reason they had them set up in the library is so that Cordelia gets bit. Because if it was in Giles's house, that she wouldn't have gotten bit. Yeah, that's true, because it has to be a public place. Yep, exactly. Which I'm like, that is a stupid place to make your headquarters. Oh, I know. Oh, that's true. Anyone can walk in. We know this from passion. They know it too. That's why everybody has to go home after curfew. Literally. And I love how they bring up like like Cordelia kind of mentions like, oh, you were supposed to be Buffy's watcher. And he's like, well, how did you I know that I was? And he kind of gets like interrupted. But I like how they bring that up because we kind of forget that he like 
was raised was one, right? Is that is that mm-hmm. correct? Okay. Yeah. And then he kind of ran away and that's when he became Ripper. And then he decided to actually follow through with it. But obviously nothing came of it. So mm-hmm. I think what they're trying to tell us is that Giles, this Giles is floundering. He wants to still fight vampires and do what he was like raised to do, what he has desired to do for a while now. But he has no actual slayer. So he's kind of purposeless. Um, they can hear some noises. So they're a bit like... He's a bit confused. He goes into the cage and then Vampire Willow closes it on him. And then I know this is supposed to be like metaphorical because it's like Xander and Willow both biting and hurting Cordelia as she's literally being like sucked dry from them. And then they're like being all like sexual about it. It's supposed to be metaphorical. It's just like, why did you kill her off when this is a Cordelia-centric episode. Yeah, this one definitely felt like it was going somewhere. And then the fact that she dies was like, oh, that's that's dumb. It is. But, it yeah. feels like a missed opportunity. It's like I feel like mm-hmm. this episode would have felt a little bit more whole if Cordelia was there to fight in the end. It's just like weird. Like watching this, you're like, poor Cordelia. But then also like Xander like grabbing Willow's hair as they're both biting. It's just, ooh, it's uncomfortable. <gasps> yeah, it is a little. And then Giles over there having to watch all of that. <laughs> I know. Ew. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, I do like the metaphor of Mm -hmm. every single person that dies in this episode that is a part of the core group is killed by another member of the core group. And I think they're trying to show what happens when you're not unified and when you're not, uh, when you don't have friends to support you, you just turn on each other. But I also think the people who kill the other people make absolute sense. Yeah. It's like Cordelia and, mm -hmm. and Zan, or, um, Xander and Willow together kill Cordelia. Mm-hmm. Then we have Oz kills Willow. And then we have Xander kill Angel because he hates Angel. Mm-hmm. And then you yep. have the whole prophecy fulfilled that Master kills Buffy. And in this universe, he ends up killing her. Yep. Just like yep. the first season. It just all logically makes sense. It's equal, equally heartbreaking and then satisfying in some areas. Like when Buffy gets Xander, I was like, hmm. Hmm. And then Larry and Oz come back looking all beat up. Tell her that the random chick died. Oh, sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nancy. And then they, they decide to carry her out. And then Giles sees the necklace, which this one makes sense to me because I know that we've he researches a ton. And so maybe he's mm-hmm. recognized it. So I'm like, you know what? I'll let this one slide. There's a couple of things that really make sense to me. Sure. I'll give you this one. <laughs> so he takes off the necklace. And then back at the bronze – um, the master gets like a like a blood cappuccino, which made me die laughing. So classy. <laughs> he's like he's got his like pinky in the air too. Uh-huh. He tells him he's pleased with them killing Cordelia. Um, and then Willow asks to play with the puppy as a reward. I think that the fact that they added this in is so clever because they could have left Angel out of this episode entirely, and I think no one would have kind of batted an eye. But like Having him in here and stuff, I just think is so clever. He's a mudblood. <laughs> He's a hybrid, which I feel like is like very – it adds up to a lot of these like lures. Like anytime there's a hybrid or a mix of two different things, it's usually rejected because it's not fully mm-hmm. one thing. You don't really mm-hmm. fully fit in. Therefore, people can take advantage of that and think that that's weak. But also too, like – Angel talks about to Buffy later on that he – and even Willow hints at it here – that he actually like stormed the factory or stormed the other – I think the bronze or something like that and was trying to save people all in his own because he had seen Buffy 
and then was waiting for her in Sunnydale. She never showed up. So he was like, well, I still want to do good and she's not here. So I'm going to do it by myself. And he ends up getting caught. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they're torturing him um, probably partially because of his soul, but also because they're like, you're, you turned against us. I know this is like um, the side of angel that never got his destiny. That was like mm-hmm. trying to do the best that he could without having an actual breakthrough moment. Which, okay, let's think about the ramifications of this. There's absolutely no mention of Jenny Calendar anywhere in this episode, which I think is interesting because, I mean, she wouldn't have been killed by Angelus because Buffy never came to Sunnydale, which means the curse is never broken. Her main duty was to watch over Angel and keep him from the Slayer. Is it possible that she never like showed herself or like ever came to Sunnydale because both Buffy and Angel were like never got close enough to make the curse weaken. I don't know. She absolutely never came. I don't feel like that she would need to. I think it's also the fact that like Sunnydale is probably such a black hole right now that they probably just assume that like Angel wasn't an issue. Maybe they were like, Oh, he's tied up with the master. Yeah. We don't need to worry about him. Ugh. Okay. And then, you know, she plays with the puppy or whatever. Xander's like, I want to watch. I want to watch you. Ugh, okay. uh, it's so, ugh, yeah. The whole and that's Marty Noxon's like thing. Mm-hmm. It's also just like really icky to watch Xander and Willow together. I was like, okay, they broke up, we're done, and then it's like, oh no, now we have to watch. I feel like Cordelia. We have to watch Xander and Willow in an alternate universe be together, and then on top of that, it's like this weird twisted, perverted thing. And uh, I don't know. It just makes me so uncomfortable, which means they did an excellent job. So good job, Allison Hannigan. Good yeah. job, Nicholas Brendan. You did your job a little too well. So in the library, Giles, we, from what we can assume, is calling Buffy's um, watcher in Cleveland, asking if Buffy can come. Um, we find him researching about Anya's necklace. And what does he find out in this scene? I was confused him because like, I feel like he finds out little bits and pieces, and I was confused on what he found out in this scene. So what's written in the script is different than what's written in the episode. Yeah. There's actually more information in the script. So the script says, Anyanka raised a demon to ruin her unfaithful lover. The demon did her bidding, but then cursed her and turned her into a sort of patron saint for scorned woman. Apparently, the cry of a wronged woman is like a siren's call to Anyanka, which I think is a little more than what the episode says. Um, and so then Larry's like, well, what does she do? And Giles says she grants wishes. And Oz, Cordelia wished for something. If it was a long and healthy life, I think she should get her money back. <laughs> Gosh. So Giles kind of mentions that he's aware that um, Cordelia wished for something um, and that somehow the world was supposed to be different. So that's what Giles is kind of mulling over through his head at this point. He's a little bit intrigued. But also it's like when you the world is so bad, you're tending to want to believe that anything can be better. So if someone's mm-hmm. saying that, I'd want to believe that. The script is interesting because he says, I'm going to need to research this on Yanka further. I have some volumes at home or I think they're at home. I'm a little rusty with all this, which I think is really funny because like we're used to Giles knowing mm-hmm. everything and having everything there. And he clearly hasn't done this in a while. Mm-hmm. So on his drive home, he drives by like a ton of vamps, like trying to take people out of a van. And so he goes out, tries to... Um, help the people gets hit over and I like how this is shot you see like people flying and being dusted and then it's Mm -hmm. like panning up from like the feet up it's just interesting because it's like you see her and you see Buffy like you're like okay this is clearly Buffy but it's just like your heart kind of breaks because she just doesn't have like the light in her Mm -hmm. she doesn't have that Buffy that like 
you know, has been through so much, but like has that desire to carry on. Like she really just looks done. She's just a shell of who she used to be. I also think it's cool that they show Giles with the same cross over and over again. And I'm kind of, I just now realize that nobody stakes a vampire except for Buffy in this episode. So I really think that that's part of um, what Buffy has taught everybody is kind of the self-defense and how to stake vampires and the courage to stand up and do things. Like all they use is these crosses and they have like the crossbow from like a safe area, but they don't use stakes because everyone probably doesn't have the skill set or they don't know how to get close enough to stake a vampire, which I think is really like that that's really hard. That's why so so many people die because they don't know actually know how to defend themselves. That is interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I just now figured it out because I was like, oh, we hadn't seen a vampire be dusted yet. And I was like, Giles has like used the same cross multiple times. Why isn't he staking anybody? Mm. And then yeah. And then Buffy, it's so funny to observe Sarah Michelle Geller's acting in these scenes. It's just so different. She's so blunt mm-hmm. and like her body language is so like abrupt. She's like, I'm taking off a lot on faith here, Jeeves. He's like, Giles. <laughs> and her monologue where she goes, the world is what it is. We fight. We die. Wishing doesn't change that. And he goes, I have to believe in a better world. And she says, go ahead. I have to live in this one. Two very different, like, there's one who is like, I don't want to think about the world I'm living and living in. I'm just trudging through. And then there's Giles that is like hopeful and is like, I need something different. I have to believe in something different. Well, I think the difference is, is Giles has been given a little bit of hope by Cordelia who says, you were Buffy's yeah. watcher. And so Giles is going, I had purpose in that other world. And for this Buffy, this is a hopeless Buffy. This is one who has no ties to this earth, who looks like she's been through some stuff. It's also really interesting because she kind of reminds me a lot of Kendra, even like we've talked about before, how she's dressed. Her, She's wearing that tank top and even the cargo pants and the braid is very, very much like Kendra and very emotionalist like Kendra was taught to be. And Buffy seems a little bit frustrated. She's like, if we know where the master is, why hasn't no one gone in and tried to like kill him? And he's like, well, people have kind of implying that people have died in the process. Mm -hmm. She also kind of reminds me of Faith when Faith first came in having a bit of a death wish. Yeah. Well, and the I don't play well with others. Yeah. Very much like Faith. It's so interesting. Like, we're shown who Willow and Xander would be without Buffy, like this whole world. And now once we see Buffy, we're shown who she would be without her friends, her watcher, and even Angel. All of these people have had some sort of an impact on Buffy and she has on them. The world would be different like without all these different factors going into play. Yep. And this next scene with her and Angel is really interesting because it's like this is as if he had never seen her after that whole scene that we saw in Becoming Part 1. So it's like he gets a little bit of hope, he gets a little bit of spark in him, and then he starts fighting a little bit on his own, like what we saw in Season 1, where he's still a little bit like guarded, a little bit like um, towing the line. Um, And he's like, I waited here for you, but you never – I was supposed to help you. This is so sad. But it just – oh, my gosh. It just breaks my heart because it's like no one – Obviously, no one feels right, but it's also just like everyone feels so without purpose Mm -hmm. and just lost. And it's just such a – like it's a well-done episode, but it's just so sad. It's very dark. Well, and speaking of dark, Angel's in shadows the entire time while Buffy's kind of a little bit more in the light. Like the way this episode, again, is shot very much like seasons one, season two, and I think they're trying to purposely throw back – 
Um, but it's also just supposed to show how, like the contrast of how dark and gloomy it is here versus the normal world. Um, but this moment is really interesting. So there is actually a distortion of Buffy and Angel's theme song in this moment. I don't know if you guys caught it. So this is from Music, Sound, and Silence in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It says, in the wish, we get another kind of distortion of the Buffy and Angel theme. In the reality of this alternate wish verse, Buffy has never met Angel until she finds him in a cell in the basement of the bronze. Now the doppelganglin hangout of the vampires. He is nevertheless still the vampire with a soul and he recognizes her so that when she discovers him, we are invited to hope that she will instinctively know him and that their love will transcend the boundary between the two realities. But the music tells us that this cannot happen as we hear and feel a skewered atonal fragment of the Buffy Angel theme. The cruel irony of seeing these two thus separated is enhanced by the music as they are still related to their usual selves. The theme has the same slow rhythm and tempo, a similar contour, the same spare texture, and the same orchestration, which is the acoustic piano. But as they do not feel the love we have come to expect, the melody is distorted and non-diatonic. The harmonies are unstable and cold. In hearing the recognizable elements skewed in this way, we can tell that not only the distortion of the characters, both musical and dramatic, but also the irony of their being so close and yet so far apart. (laughs) So sad. Hmm. So Buffy's calling was the same. But something happened between her calling in Los Angeles and her moving here. So instead of moving to Sunnydale, she moved to Cleveland, and that set off a whole chain reaction of things, and everybody's lives are completely different. Um, And then we have this whole scene where that poor girl gets dragged on, drained of her blood, and then he drinks it in a wine glass as Oz and Larry watch from the crowd, which is just... There are some rare scenes in Buffy where I'm just like, gross. I don't like watching this. The master's speech is really telling. He says, vampires, undeniably, we are the world's superior race, yet we have always been too parochial. It's very interesting because remember in season one, we talked a lot about how there's a lot of um, correlations between the master and Nazi Germany. Hitler. And so I think they're kind of doing like a callback here. He's talking about how like we have to mass produce and, you know. Yeah, Joss loves his Nazi parallels. Yeah, I don't know why, but <laughs> this one makes <laughs> sense. And then back at Joss's house, you see him trying to do his spell to conjure Anya. And then she kind of pops up in the corner. I'm like, woo, hey, girly. Anya IBC. She like materializes out of thin air when her creepy, low, gravelly voice sounds like a smoker. Literally. It's kind of cool, though. Smoking I like it. kills boys and girls. Apparently, yeah. If she's a villain, it's like, let's make it sound like she's smoked a pack every day. <laughs> don't don't smoke her. You'll sound like Anyanka. She's like, do you have any idea what I do to a man who uses that spell to summon me? But I love how she says a man, not like anyone, when a man summons me. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I also think it's, she's used to being summoned by women because they're hearts and stuff. No, I know. I just think it's funny. It's like, do you know what I do to, to men who summon me? Yes, girly. Yeah. Torture them. <laughs> I'm Not just Giles, kidding. though. Giles is no. Giles we love Giles. Ally. We love Jeeves. A female. We love Jeeves. <laughs> I feel like I need to make that a T-shirt. We love Jeeves. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Jeeves from now on. Um, and then he asks her what Cordy wished for, and then Anya says that she had no idea how exciting this world would be. She mentions that it's a brave new world, which is a clever little nod. Mm-hmm. She says, "I hope, I hope she likes it." Speaking of. Cordelia, which I'm like, how did she not know that Cordelia was dead? 
Do you not know where your amulet is? Your, your power source here, woman? <laughs> you, you don't seem like a very good vengeance demon. <laughs> I know. This girl is reeling too much from this like amazing world. She's like, whoa. She's, <laughs> She's like, like on like, a power whoa. trip. <laughs> well, it also could have been like a um, kind of a, uh, like a sarcastic comment kind of being like, Oh, I hope she enjoys it, even though she's dead. Yeah. She could know, just not care. That's true. Yeah, because the thing is, is that I don't necessarily think that Anyanka was like, I'm going to help Cordelia out of the goodness of my heart. It's very much like, I think there's a sense of she feeds off of Cordelia's pain um, or Cordelia's wish, I should say. But it's all very, like, that's the thing about the Buffyverse. We absolutely, like, its greatest weakness and its greatest strengths are the same. It is amazing and creating these characters in this lore, but it doesn't really go very deep into it. And so it just kind of expects you to fill in the gaps. And sometimes you're like, yeah, the gaps are a little too wide. Can't really fill much in here. Yep. So Anya kind of like chokes Giles into the wall and you're like, get your hands off Jeeves. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the factory Buffy goes in and runs into the circle of everything that's going on at this point, starts fighting Willow and Xander. And then Xander goes and stakes Angel. Oh, and his last words were Buffy. Did you notice that Angel saw that Xander was going for Buffy and sacrificed himself for her? <gasps> no, I didn't her? see that. That's even more sad. It's just sad because it's like, even in a different universe where he doesn't love her, like Angel's last thing is to just sacrifice for her. I also think there's a really cool parallel between um, this episode and in um, Welcome to the Hellmouth. So the last thing that Luke says to Buffy as he's about to bite her at the end of Welcome to the Hellmouth, he says, you know, blood will pour out like wine when the master rises. And this is literally like the master is drinking the blood in a wine glass. And so they're showing what would have happened if Buffy hadn't stopped the master in that time. I think that's just like a cool little like thing that they threw in. So it feels like Anya is like choking Giles for like four scenes because he keep cutting back and he's still standing there being choked against the wall. Jeeves <sighs> has got powerful neck muscles. What are you talking Apparently, about there? Yeah. <laughs> he's been knocked out so many times he's used to it. He's like, I can hold out longer now. Well, he hasn't been knocked out in this universe. He's got a lot more blood flow going to his brain <laughs> so he can True. hold out longer. Yeah. Um, and then she mentions, she goes, this is the world we made. Isn't it wonderful? And then here's the epic part of the episode where it's like all slow-mo, epic music. Ugh. Buffy locks eyes with Xander. Xander starts walking towards her. And they have this whole like fight sequence. Buffy stakes Xander. And then Larry grabs Willow. And then you, you see Oz kind of lock eyes with Willow runs over there. Even though mm -hmm. this would not penetrate her whatsoever whatever doesn't matter he picks her up and like pushes her against the wall where the stake is or the piece of wood that conveniently is hanging out from like the the wooden cage, cage or Why whatever that is the cage out of wood oh, whatever yeah i've stopped asking questions i'm like this doesn't make any sense but whatever <laughs> The, um, fun fact this is the first episode where the vampire skeletons are visible as they dust isn't that crazy Oh, really? I feel like that's such like a aesthetic with the show. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first two and a half seasons, I guess, they um, would stake the vamps and you would just have a poof of dust. But now they're actually showing the skeletons. Oh, I like the skeletons aesthetic. It's cooler yeah. in my opinion. Way to spoil it, Sarah. I didn't know that they were going to have that in other seasons. <laughs> mm, it's just a one-time thing. What are you talking about? It's only There's happens vampires in, the wish for us. in other seasons? 
Wow. Well, I was sorry. About, I was thinking about it too, and like I, I remember looking at the the dusting in this episode and thinking it looked cooler, but I couldn't tell what it was. Mm-hmm. But it also it was it was also like um they did it in a very like um beautiful way. It would be like Angel would um dust, and then someone would walk through the dust of Angel, or it was like like Willow would dust, and then it would cut straight to like I don't know. It just was very like beautifully done. A lot of the dusting was, and I couldn't tell why or what was happening necessarily, but that makes sense. They definitely went the extra mile because they were like, you know, these are characters we've known and like come to love that are dying. So let's really like make us feel every moment of them dying. Yeah. Um, And then the master like slides down the stair railings, which is so sick. And then you see Buffy like pushing people aside with a determined face. Storms over there. They start fighting. And then we cut back to Giles's house. He's still being hung up there. <laughs> and then he sees the glowing necklace on Anya's neck. Which, how'd she get it back is my question. She probably got it back when Cordelia died. My guess is that she planned for Cordelia to die so she could get the pendant back. So like it was a, basically a trap for Cordelia. That's that's my guess. But yes, I have a lot of questions for Anya. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. So he sees the glowing necklace. It doesn't make sense <laughs> on her neck. Rips it off. And then she says, you trusting fool, how do you know the other world is any better than this? And he says, because it has to be. We've cut back to the factory. The master snaps her neck. She falls. And then Giles breaks the necklace. I think that it's so Giles in any universe to be the one to make the big picture decision. Mm -hmm. To go, you know what? Even if it sucks, at least it'll be right. And I just think that that's very beautiful and that's very Giles. And also seeing Buffy die is so unnerving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also worse than even in Prophecy Girl because this Buffy looks so f- hopeless. Her eyes are empty. She just looks like she has – like as she's fighting him, there's no emotion on her face. There's no fear. There's nothing. And then the moment that he snaps her neck, it's almost like – there's this Sarah Michelle Geller is just fantastic. There's this look of vulnerability that goes across her face as she's falling to the ground. And you're like, holy crap, it's a girl. Like it's a young girl. Like it's just a such a powerful moment. And I kept looking at her eyes. Like she's supposed to be dead at this point after her neck is snapped and her eyes don't even move as she's literally like moving towards the floor. I feel like my eyes would follow my feet, you know, as you're supposed to be dead. The script is like really sad. It says the floor of the plant is littered with corpses. The master has Buffy off her feet. He snaps her neck. Buffy falls from his grasp, eyes empty and staring. Her death goes unnoticed amidst the rest of the fighting, which continues. She's just another body about to hit the ground. Jeez. That's crazy. It's also crazy to me too that like it feels like Angelus snapped Jenny's neck like that. The master only drank enough of Buffy to get out of um, the Hellmouth or like where the Hellmouth is. And um, Drusilla didn't even drink Kendra. It's just there's a pattern of these like big, big deaths, especially with slayers and um, with like really evil people where they don't care to hunt, to drink. They're literally just like, you're just another person. It's very dehumanizing the way that he just snaps her neck, similar to like Angelus snapping Jenny's neck, you know? Yep, and then everything goes back to the way it was. We're outside the school, and this is the moment before Cordelia's supposed to make her wish. And then she says, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. And then Anya turns around as normal Anya, 
and says, done. She's like, that'd be cool. And then she goes on this whole rant about listing other like wishes. Kind of like I said earlier, it's kind of making light of the situation so she doesn't think about the pain. And the ending is very like, it, it feels like the music feels very much like um at the end of when she was bad. You know, when you have that yeah. little like, like a montage or whatever that would be with like the little like happy music and then like the, mm-hmm. like the gang kind of talking to each other, having a good time. And you see the Scoobies all normal sitting on the bench and Giles lecturing them. We're all like sobbing yeah. and like completely wrecked after that. But I like how we they show us this because it's like, we need to see that they're alive and okay. Yeah, exactly. But it always it, – it's crazy to me how this episode switches so fast. And it's like the very, very end. It's like literally like watch everybody die, Buffy die, and then all of a sudden it's like happy, happy, happy. And then it ends and you're like <laughs> – like whiplash man back and forth. And then real credits. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I really like that episode. I love that episode so much. That's one that I will go back and just watch when I just need hope because I love the moment at the end when Giles is like, because it has to be. And I think that kind of goes along with the theme of the Buffyverse and it goes all the way back to lie to me. It's like, you have a choice. You don't have a good choice, but you have a choice. And Giles took that chance and ended up having a better world because of it. Well, guys, that was The Wish episode nine, which is just insanity. Literally. I can't believe we're already on episode nine. Uh, next week we have our spoiler section and I, okay, I know we say every time we're like so excited for the spoiler section, but I'm really excited for the spoiler section because this episode just, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of really good stuff. We hope to see you guys there if you like spoilers. If not, we will see you guys next time for amends, which will be equally as awesome. But you guys can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us, becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. Um, we want to know what you guys think of this episode. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I feel like this might be kind of an underrated episode. I think a lot of people forget about it, but it's it's seriously a gem. As always, guys, have a great week and we will 